0: Welcome to the Loaded Goat with Aaron and Chris. Um, this week we are uh, d- discussing season one, episode seven of the Andy Griffiths
1: Show, Andy the Matchmaker. I've got an opening thought before you jump in here. Okay. I kind of think that it would have been a delightful start for this for this particular episode. For opie to be in a school production and they're singing matchmaker matchmaker make me a match Uh, i think from fiddler on the roof but maybe not but that would maybe be an interesting way that they could start this out as we're really opening up into the season
0: well it's interesting that you bring this up and i just always feel like i have to connect the dots for you on this on this show but see that show andy griffith came out in 1960 fiddler on the roof came out later in the 60s was it really
1: after? Okay. Yes. All right. All right. Do you think that this show started was an inspiration for Fiddler on the Roof? No, I don't think it was in any way, shape, or form. All right. Why don't you uh, kick us off with what, you, what your interpretation of this show is well, and we can go from there. Actually, I'm inspired.
0: Actually, actually, there are um, there's some, there's some things I want <laughs> to fill you in on that, I've che- that I checked on here. We were talking last week about the costume designers. I do remember. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I looked it up on IMDB and it looks like Andy Griffith had, the Andy Griffith show had six costume designers. It doesn't look like any of them are alive, but it also doesn't look like they worked on avant-garde sixties and seventies movies um, doing crazy stuff with costumes. So I'm starting to worry your theories on the symbolism with the costumes on the show just may, may really not pan out.
1: Okay, I still think that there's probably an opportunity for us to at least contact some of the children. Maybe some of these children went into high fashion or something like that, and we can see the influences that they were stifled by the the director that they weren't able to put forward in the Andy Griffith show. I'm saying you're probably correct, but I don't think it's a dead end.
0: All right, well, I think what you should do then is maybe, um, you know, you can go to IMDb2 um, and really look at there. If you see somebody that looks like they may have had a um may have had a had a connection um i don't think you're going to find anybody I, the one thing i just want to prepare you for is nobody who works on the uh show had the last name of armani or um or versace or um, or you know or any of these so you might have to really really be well versed in costume design
1: yeah i mean maybe it's a maternal lineage you know where last names change you know i'll i'll do some research and I'll look back here <laughs>
0: please please do so um the justice of the peace uh there's the other thing i wanted to tell you about i looked this up as well so north carolina every state it kind of had a different setup with its justice of the peace but it basically was like what we talked about last week was you know where you actually had somebody who wasn't a the highest level judge but could prosecute misdemeanors and states like north carolina and others had this in place but by the late sixties, many states did away with that, and so you had actual judges managing managing small smaller court issues. And so,
1: Andy being a justice of the peace
0: is out of date
1: now. I would imagine that that really started justice of the peace. First of all, thank you for your research; very sure. informative. Um, I would venture to guess that justice of the pieces went away when the rise of on of TV justices. Um, really started to grow forward, probably beginning with Night Court, um, moving on to Judge Judy, um, and on down the line. But that's the world that they continue to fill.
0: So you do understand, Night Court was a sitcom, and Judge Judy was a um, was a reality <laughs> a reality TV. Yeah,
1: I, I I think they're gateways, Aaron, and they're not always the perfect linear path that that you might wish to follow. But we don't we don't get to choose our history, Aaron. It chooses us. All right, fair enough.
0: I was thinking more along the lines <laughs> of the of the People's Court. Did you ever watch the People's
1: Court? I didn't, but I can. Maybe we can. <laughs> How about that?
0: You no, know, it was just the it was the it was the first of the of the of that of that whole of that whole genre where you actually had somebody coming in and you had this guy named Doug Llewellyn um doing the 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 plaintiff um or you know or the victim and um and they'd tell their story and then the defendant would walk in and he'd tell the story of the defendant and you had judge joseph wapner who was an actual judge um coming in and, and he wouldn't he would make a decision on on the case and then um and then that kind of spawned you know judge judy obviously real judge but then you had a lot of just dramatizations like divorce court and things like that which just weren't um which just weren't actual
1: um, yeah which were which, which were just dramas you know a divorce court really didn't have uh I'm trying to come up with a joke here it really didn't play well with younger audiences it was really hardest on the kids it was it was I mean it hits it it's very close
0: <laughs> it hit very close to home and and it didn't succeed and the reason it didn't succeed was because of the kids it was the kid's fault and that was the other thing that uh, that the kids struggled with as well
1: there was that second season where they tried to where they got a new kid hoping that they could save the shell of divorce court but it really didn't play out as well as it should have
0: no no they thought they thought they they thought they could basically erase all the other stuff they did with the pre with the other (laughs) children by bringing on a new
1: kid and really just get to start fresh and it just doesn't work that way This little banter makes me think we should have chosen that show versus Andy Griffith. <laughs> we, might, we might be more successful. Well, we'll, well,
0: we'll see. We, we, we to go, but this show I actually was am excited to do because it is the first one, and I don't know if you'll agree with this or not. It, to me, it's the first one where Don Knotts really gets to become Barney
1: Fife. Completely, he he is reasonable. You see a real character. Um, that he's been a little over the top in some other episodes there are moments that i think are almost three stooges but they're done within the context of his character that you don't think that they're out of place he's just a wonderful kramer costanza character
0: yeah absolutely and he uh so the episode starts he storms in saying he is resigning and basically starts stripping just and just doing an inventory of his clothes as he begins undressing
1: that was exactly the point that I was going to... So when he's taking off all of his clothes, those are clearly state issue. I don't think you necessarily refer to it in that context for police officers, but it made me wonder if this scene or whenever cops do retire or get fired, they have to take their clothes off on the spot and that's where the myth um, of, the, of the stripper who's dressed up as a cop came from.
0: <laughs> you know, that's... Um... I'm going to just go ahead and guess that retirement and the stripper dressed up as a cop are just two completely different things. I think, um, I Is think it because of the pension, I don't Pensions think make it so I they don't, don't need to. <laughs> I don't think the pensions or the um, or casework really have. I mean, I don't think I don't think strippers who dress up like firemen um, are fire. You know, are are you know they're not are, returning their
1: uniforms. Not returning but there's a reason uniforms. that like it's never the businessman because the businessman has his own suit. He's not giving it back to his employer. Well, the one thing I just
0: thought was that that the, the, there is a tr- there is a common thread on this show is that Barney resigns quite a bit. On on the Andy Griffiths show, I mean it's a, it's an ongoing it's an ongoing theme. But this is one where he just when he starts just going through everything and he takes he's putting everything out and then he takes out a whistle and he's like I replaced the P in the whistle, but I won't charge you with that. And I'm just I was kind of like, can you do that? I didn't even know
1: that's feasible to replace the P. I just thought you tossed out a whistle when it went bad. I mean, that's such a brilliant thing for Barney to say because he's letting Andy know what he's losing, right? Mm-hmm. If someone like you, as crafty with whistles, you wet your whistle all the time, Aaron. If you don't know how to change the P, I don't even know, I didn't even know that it was called a P. I would have said bead. Um, I bet Andy doesn't know that you could do that. And he's really losing some, some um, unique talent from the force. And Barney lets him know that way without directly saying it. That's a good point. That's a
0: good point. So, I, It's I not. It's not. <laughs> I don't think you can. I don't think. I don't know if I agree. I don't know if I see the direct correlation between um, between Barney between Barney and female police strip female strip Barney and strippers dressed like police. I don't know if I see that, but I do. um, But I do think um, that I do think he is making. It's not like he's purposely doing it, but Barney is a very meticulous person about about everything. Um, So Andy, obviously, he doesn't want him to leave, but he says Opie made fun of him, and then he reads the poem, and the poem goes, and I've known this poem since I was a little kid, because you just, it's just, once you hear it a few times, it just stays in your head. There once was a deputy named Fife who carried a gun and a knife. The gun was all
1: dusty, and the knife was all rusty, because he never got a crook in his life. Just wonderfully done, Aaron. I heard that poem and I thought, first of all, excellently, excellently done, Opie. If it is even Opie. Um, and then I do, I. They write good poetry here. There's some art behind behind these this humor.
0: Yeah, and even Andy is having a tough time keeping a straight face on this. I mean, because it, it's just so, it's just such a zinger of a poem. So Opie comes in and Sisty does Sisty didn't do it. Um, Barney's getting upset, but then Andy reveals that. Um, opie doesn't know how to write so it couldn't have been opie are, are we surprised that opie doesn't know how to write at this point well he said in the first episode remember when he was going to do the run the letter where he said he was running away That's and true. he said i don't know how to write i mean i think ron howard is supposed to be is was six when the show was um when the show was, actually, show was actually taped, but he's supposed to be five years old. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I may have remember, learned how to do my ABCs, but I wasn't in, in kindergarten, but I wasn't doing anything else beyond that until first and second grade.
1: Okay, so I mean, this won't surprise anybody, but I'm a, I'm a genius and I was in Montessori and I was learning at my own speed. And obviously it was faster than everybody else. I'm sure that I was writing prose Um, worthy of chalk on a wall by the time I was at least five. I'm sure you were, um, you know, and so,
0: (laughs) and so I just, I'm so grateful that I I get to do a podcast with a genius. It's really, it's it's such a treat.
1: I remember my big accomplishment I remember from kindergarten was, so my name is Christopher. It's longer than most names and I could barely write my whole name by the time I was done with kindergarten, but I felt so bad for myself because it was so much longer than this kid named Gus in my class. He had it so much easier. His and his
0: name was probably Augustus, um, so he probably got the teacher let him off scot free and made you say your f- full name. Exactly, makes it the teacher just didn't like me, Aaron. I can see that, and um, you know <laughs> the um, so the so basically we're going in. Barney still says he's resigning, and I just love this. He says may go to work at the pickle
1: factory and be a brine tester. And um, (laughs) it's so off the cuff it's just a delightful thing that he's had planned all along um is you know are pickles made in their own factories are they often bundled with other things i mean pickles are a common southern southern treat i mean i do they have their own factories
0: yeah they've got their own factories i mean you've got your own pickle companies i mean you know it's like if you ever see that was it the kate's pickle company commercial where it's in the small town and these the, the guys who it's an actor, but he's supposed to be working at the factory. And he says, you know, we here at the Case Pickle Company, we, you know, we, we look at our pickles, we work, we focus on them, we work and just try to make sh- and pay attention to them until they become the best pickles they can be. And he's like, why do we do that? Because we ain't got anything better. At, we got any, ain't got anything else to do. <laughs>
1: no, I don't know that. Um, I, did, I did wonder about this with, um, you know, my wife and I have been getting in, in a, a number of arguments over types of pickles. I, am, I have found over the last year that I'm strictly a bread and butter guy. She is a staunch dill girl, and we have moved no room for, for crossover or common ground on this front. Do you find that to be as divisive in your relationships? You know, it's funny
0: you mentioned that. No, I don't. I can't imagine though. If Becky was a bread and butter um, type pickle person, I would be kind of like, "Well, you got your jar of pickles, and I got my jar of pickles."
1: That's what we did. We have different. Yeah. We have different pickle jars. Which, you know, I don't know. It's not the. It's not what I thought when I was getting married. But you learn something new every year. You know. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think you're a rarity. I mean, I think the bread and butter pickle people are. You know, you're you're um you're vastly outnumbered by the dill pickle people.
1: Maybe it's us Northerners. I don't know. We should, uh, please, uh, listeners, please write and call in with your uh, types of pickles, and we can we can assess this moving forward.
0: We'll do a spreadsheet with it, just map and map and map it out. I mean, I'd I'd be curious. I bet you. No, I, I do. You,
1: I do only anecdotal research.
0: Only <laughs> anecdotal research. So, so a guy writes in, you just make an assumption about everybody in the state that he's in. Is that what was that what we're doing here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd call it modeling, but yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. all right, fair enough, fair enough. So, um, and then and then Barney lee Barney starts to leave, and he says Barney Fife has blown his last whistle, whistle. Um, then, um, Miss Rosemary stops by. Um, I think she's got to get one of Andy's suits that she was having pressed. Is she new to the is, is this the first time she's appeared? She is new, she's. Played by an actress named Amzie Strickland, who was a character actor on a lot of shows during that period. Um, but she and she also played different characters on the um, on the on the show throughout um, throughout the, at least the first few seasons. Ahead, I was sorry.
1: also surprised with the way that she was costumed. This is the only I swear this is the only costume piece I have throughout the show. But for a character that is so seemingly meek and timid, um, she wears the loudest print and clothing, um, I think, on the episode. So I was just surprised that she was costumed in such a way. Well, it, it,
0: Another she's...
1: question for Mr. Versace Jr.
0: Yeah, no, you know, no, it's funny. I mean, because she is supposed to be playing as this timid, meek person, and she has a crush on Barney, but she really does just come across as extraordinarily well put, well put together. Did, did you, did you feel that way?
1: Yeah, no, I mean there's definitely a, a history there. Is it the, you know clearly she and Andy have more of a relationship than they sought to build in this introductory moment. Um, you know by him kind of flippantly asking for a pie that she then later delivers is they almost have a sibling-esque relationship yeah. that Andy must see it, but but they didn't put the time in to build that that introduction. Not necessarily that is needed, but it is something noted.
0: No, I mean this show is called Andy the Matchmaker, but there's not a lot of matchmaking taking, take, taking place. So the, um, so, but, but he sends Barney out and he's got to be like, I've got to figure out a way to get Barney's confidence back. I mean, the good thing is, is Rosemary coming by gets Barney to basically say, Oh, I need to um, stay in my job. Cause she thinks what I do is important. So he basically, you know, grabs everything, but his pants, which are like the only thing he still has on and carries it all out to the, all out to the car and ellie um gets together with Aunt, or andy stops by to visit ellie they they decide to come up with a rob fake a robbery where 24 dollars were stolen and barney brings his fingerprint print kit in um and he, while he's not very good
1: with it he's happy as a clam this is the moment where i thought it was uh this is where barney five found his or dong Knotts found his his uh his rhythm with the character, where he's able to do something as clown esque of getting the fingerprint powder all over his face and screaming, yeah. walking out, calling himself reliable Barney Fife, while still it's it's fully in step with what you'd expect from that character without any eye roll. beautifully yeah. done.
0: Yeah, beautifully done. No, it's it's a great scene, and um, and I do uh, and I do, um, you know, it's funny. I I think there's a lot of um women that are on their show in Andy's life, and I always just did like the the balance that Ellie Walker always provided, which is being like, Andy, do you think this is really a good idea? There seems like there's all these problems and he kind of talks her into it. Um, and so they do it. And then Opie once again shows up. And as he seems to be on this sh- as he seems to continue to be on the show, he's five years old, but he seems to be three steps ahead of everybody else. And, um, in, in 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 thinking everything through. So he shows up and he says, what if Barney has to arrest the r- arrest the guy? and it's not the right guy. And Andy's like, no, no, that'll never happen. That's not going to happen. Well, sure enough, Barney shows up with a guy from Chattanooga, and he's waving his gun, um, uh, you know, telling him he caught the guy and everything, and the guy from Chattanooga is just saying this is ridiculous.
1: I was thinking, so, you know, Barney's waving the gun around. He has it in his face. He's pointing it at Andy. He's He is previously bored with the role that he has, and I think that there's probably – you know, I wonder – you know, making a stretch here, but were there opportunities, you think, for continuing education that Barney could have taken up in these moments where there was a lull? Because it's not a sin town, because he's created this good environment where it is safe, but he really does want all this action. But they could have probably had a few police trainings that got Barney both the gun safety training that he needed and some of the intellectual curiosity that he so craved.
0: Yeah, I mean Barney Fife would be like a a um hunter safety course um example of what not to do. I mean, they do have like those videos of this is don't point guns at people, this is not how I you like handle it. There was a
1: montage for a hunter safety where they're like these are all the things you shouldn't do. And then oh, yeah. it's just I didn't take hunter safety, you know, cuz I can't shoot. Uh, but I would imagine that would be a pretty fun thing for some sixth graders to do. Now, I took I took it when I was in the fifth grade and
0: I, I was never, I was, you know, like anybody who, you know, grew up with me can can attest that I was never much of a hunter either. And I, I went and I was just never very good at it. But um, we took it, we took the test when, um, we took a week long course and then took the test to, to get our hunter's licenses. But I mean, so much of what we watched was, safety with guns safety and the safety out in the elements just making smart decisions you know basic stuff like tell people where you're going um bring enough food and bring enough food and water don't um don't point guns at don't point guns at people don't get so riled up when you see an animal that you don't pay attention to what else is in front of you here's what's a good
1: because so you see a deer walking in front of you <laughs>
0: I mean, you know you're, you're dealing with a bunch of kids, I mean, but they would tell they would make us watch these true life stories, I mean, where people were going like duck hunting, and the ducks would take off, and the guy would turn it, and he just basically would fire the shotgun at his friend's face, I mean because he's not paying. yeah,
1: I almost yeah, two summers ago, I was at a bachelor party, and we were shooting we were shooting skeet in line, and it was two shots out of the shotgun and the go, and one of them like, I felt the air of the rifle go past my head when my friend almost shot me.
0: Oh, geez. It had to
1: have been close.
0: Yeah, I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad he didn't shoot you. He
1: feels really bad about it, and so I tried to bring it up. I and mean, he rightfully should. <laughs> I'd like to bring it up as many times as possible, and now I bring it to the podcast.
0: Thanks, Stephen. I mean, you sure you don't want to put his last name and his email, and his, and his e- email address out too? I mean,
1: yeah, his, his at least his, his email address growing up was my name is Daryl at gmail.com. <laughs> Please send him a note. I doubt he still messaged. It still occupies. So is that a new yeah, is
0: that a, a new heart thing? Is that why he did it? Or um, I don't know what it was, but I swear that was his
1: email address. <laughs> that's,
0: that's hilarious. I, hopefully, he does not still have that that email address. Um, <laughs> All right, so so Barnage now is going to interrogate the prisoner while Andy calls the Chattanooga Police Department to see what he can find out. He tries the cool water trick, which is always just a something that, seem, that people seem to do, um, and they like these almost ham-fisted interrogation um, scenes, like the scene on Seinfeld where Newman is like trying to interrogate Jerry, and he's like, "It's really hot under these lights," and um, you know. No. And Andy Jerry's like, actually, I'm c- kind of comfortable. And, you know, Barty's doing, like, would you like a cool glass of water? And I'm just
1: – And he t- hasn't tried to sniff it. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not – I didn't was... draw any of the – I didn't draw any of the comparisons to what it was in other shows. But when we first did it, I was like, does a guy have to go to the bathroom? And they're going to try to make him pee his pants on the spot? And then it felt like a little bit maybe they're going to waterboard him and show him flashbangs with the flashlight. Uh I like it, though.
0: You know, I wonder, like, I I, I wonder, though, like, you know, I I was I was thinking, obviously, there's always interrogation techniques. What do you think happens when somebody just you're sitting and you're being interrogated and you really have to go to the bathroom?
1: I can't. I mean, I would imagine I would just tell them whatever they need to know. I have a very small feeble bladder. And if I have to go, I have to go. And it usually, <laughs> usually comes on fairly urgent. Something, you know, I'm obviously going to have to work through with my urologist later on in life. But at that point, it's like, sure, I killed him. Let's get on with it. I got to go pee. So, Is there so- a toilet in the cell?
0: So would you think he might have been short-sighted if you're like at the state prison and you're, you're like, and you you're like I didn't really kill this man. I just had to go to the bathroom.
1: Yeah, do you think? I mean, that's something you hope you end up in front of. If, well, what was the night court show we were talking about earlier? Um, um, you talking about people's court or,
0: or, or, or? Yeah,
1: people's court. You come up and then your defense is like, I had to pee so badly. And then you just hope that there are like three people in the jury or the judge really has to pee too. And they're like, I get it. I can empathize with that person.
0: Well, I feel like something I need to clarify here is they're not taking murder convictions to the people's court. I mean, those are Judge Wapner was really like someone said he should have gotten, he, you know, he should have moved something off your lawn for a but he didn't. It caused all this. It caused like five hundred dollars worth of damage. So you take it to the people's court. It's not like we're talking about major, major cases here.
1: Okay, I, I I'm personally just you know I don't know the man, so I'm not willing to put a cap on what I think his his uh, potential is. But I I hear you that that you're willing to to limit him there, Aaron. I am. I
0: mean, well, I just uh, you know hopefully uh, you, you don't end up getting stuck in, you don't get end up getting stuck in jail or in an interrogation where you've got to and you've got to go to the bathroom.
1: Yeah, for many reasons.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so, um, turns out the guy was obviously not the robber, uh, or the the guy who committed the robbery at Walker's Drugstore, but he's wanted for crimes in Chattanooga, so Barney actually did do a good deed after all.
1: And when he puts him in jail, did you hear this? He tells him to suck in his gut? I didn't hear that. He's ushering it back, and he's like, "I got you." You know, it's all the reliable Barney Fife, and he's saying all this stuff. And then he goes through like this big entryway, and he's like, "Sucking your gut." <laughs>
0: and then, um, and then Barney later says, as he's as he's talking about everything going on, and with Ellie and
1: Andy, it's like it's a jungle out there, and I got to hunt them down. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You've restored faith in Barney Fife. You know, it's a good. It, it was a good effort by by Andy.
0: Yeah it gets on the front page of the paper and that works out. And then, you know, he asks, Andy asks, um, and this is actually what I thought was kind of interesting is the epilogue on this show lasts a little, lasts a little longer. It's because, um, you know, Barney shows up and he says he's going to, instead of asking Rosemary out, he's going to play the field. And which is, you know, kind of a goofy thing for Barney to to all of a sudden decide he wants to do. But then Andy you know figures out figures out the easy he just basically knows how to manipulate Barney. He starts to ask Rosemary out, and Barney jumps in. Barney finally asks her out i mean it's amazing these people I think are in there both Rosemary and Barney are in their thirties at this point, and so the fact that they they must have had some very limited dating experiences um, because then she finally says yes, and they shake hands let's
1: let us let us unpack this a little bit. So we don't really know the true extent of Andy and Rosemary's relationship. We know that she wants to help him. She does anything he asks. She irons his clothes, she bakes him a cake when he just says it under his or a pie when he says it under his breath and then she shows and she shows up whenever he needs her. If and then in order for him to get Barney to ask out, she or he asks Rosem Andy asks Rosemary out, which conceivably maybe she's just been madly in love with Andy this whole time. And that's all that she's ever wanted to hear out of his lips. And she got all excited and then got thrown for loop when she ended up with the naughty deputy.
0: I don't think that's what happened. I mean, I can see where you're going with this, but I have to think, I think she clearly had a crush on Barney. Um, I think she clearly had a crush on Barney because I think, and the reason I think this is because I think she was comfortable with Andy. She was comfortable carrying on conversations with Andy. I think she just felt bad for Andy because she was a because he was because he's a widower. But then, you know, she gets around Barney, and she can barely get two words out.
1: Was there a moment when Andy was asking her out that you thought he was going to invite her to join him and Ellie on the date? <laughs>
0: no, I did not think that at all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it crossed my mind for a fleeting second. But I was well. Here we go. You know, we don't know Mayberry.
0: I mean, I feel like in, town. I feel like Andy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think you're. I don't think you. Do, I don't think you're not seeing that in um, in Mayberry. Probably not even. Um, you're probably not even seeing that in Mayberry today. I would say. I think. Um, I think. Yeah, you know, I don't think the sheriff. Maybe is, it's
1: a new Lynchburg, and he's Jerry Falwell. You never know <laughs> you, what's going
0: to you know, happen. You never. You never know. But I don't see. Andy, <laughs> I don't see Andy basically saying, "Hey." Just keep an open mind. So, I mean, I think, I think basically, I think, and I also think Ellie and all the other women in Andy's life have to basically just, not, I wouldn't say keep an open mind, but they just have to be like, if they hear Andy was asking another woman out and Barney jumped in, they all just have to assume Andy was
1: playing 3D chess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, they are playing lawn darts. Three,
0: yeah they you're playing the I'm like, yeah well it's like you're you're playing you're playing it's like you're playing checkers and I'm playing three d
1: chess I had kind of one comment from earlier that I forgot to bring up that was related to conversation we had in a previous episode is it kind of is it time for our last recaps, or do you have yeah. anything else in this no, we, scene? Nope, we're yeah
0: go ahead
1: so in an earlier episode, we talked about kind of what the drugstore advertises and how they use sugar to get kids in and addicted to uh later substances and i did notice that in the back of the scene where andy and ellie are setting up this whole caper there is an advertisement that says and i quote children cry for dr king syrup that is a, a direct play at childhood at building addiction in children that we're seeing happen at this local drugstore
0: I feel like if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, I feel like this is not, we're not a couple of goofballs sitting around um, making, making, making these types of comments. Christopher, is just carrying on with some silly, some silly, some silly discussion about addiction and drug stores. Or am I wrong? Is this really your, <laughs> um, it's, is this really <laughs> been your plan all along
1: to um, to, to push? I'm flirting attention? with it. I'm flirting with it. Maybe I've got a whole plan to take down CBS. We'll see what happens.
0: Um, I don't, I do think it is funny how things have changed um, considerably about how, you know, just about sugar in general i mean you know what you can what 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 people you know what what was acceptable we made a we made a
1: cough syrup that your kid's gonna be chugging in the closet (laughs) you should absolutely buy it because he won't (laughs) complain when you give it to him before bed kids love (laughs) coding is that what is that is that what dr king's syrup was i don't know i just assumed that it was a a, what else did i didn't have any other medicines until i was older it was all cough syrup all the time I mean, I don't, gosh,
0: I, I just, I I mean, let's, I'm, I am, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna look this up. Actually, no, you're, you may have something here, Christopher. I, I picked on you a little bit, but it looks like they did have Dr. King's syrup or Dr. King's new discovery for consumption, but it looks oh. like this is from, but it looks like this is from the 1800s or the early 1900s, so this can't really be what we're, are you sure it was Dr. King's syrup? I'm
1: sure it was Dr. King's, and consumption is tuberculosis, right?
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Interesting. <laughs> I mean, I just like creating something that tastes good, so your kid doesn't cough up blood anymore. That seems like you should be able to at least re- reason with them at that point, especially when Opie's the poster boy of reason and rationality. Okay, so you, but
0: the other thing they have here is Dr. King's croup and cough syrup bottle, which oh. That I had croup be.
1: as a baby. You had croup. What? What exactly is croup? I remember being taken out into cold nights so that I wouldn't cough as much. I think you just coughed a lot. Hmm. Um. Well, I
0: um, I I, I think that's. Um, I'm sorry you had to deal with that, but I I so I do think maybe they are talking about that. I just uh, <laughs>
1: I've, I've moved past it. I've moved past it.
0: I mean, uh, but I do think I do think on the uh, Doctor Doctor King syrup. I do think it's. Uh, don't think Walker's Drug Store has a, is, is in bed with Big Pharma trying to get um, trying to get people addicted. But you know, you may be on to I'll something. I'll keep laying my case. I'll keep laying my case. I just worry about the average. Like somebody will take 80- it to
1: the people's court. We're gonna <laughs> we'll take it to
0: <laughs> the people's court. I just worry about, like, you know, you're a lifelong Andy Griffith fan and you hear and you just log, you tune into this thing for the first time. And you're like, it seems like there's a conspiracy by Walker's drugstore to get people addicted. I feel like saying, this is all tongue in cheek, folks. We're not, you know, this is not what we're trying to, trying to say. I feel like we'll know if we made it if I start getting hate mail from somebody that is really worked up over this. That can I mean, be a good
1: barometer for success.
0: Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, i like on Facebook Andy Griffith groups, um, which we'll share this pod, which we're sharing this podcast on, the um the whole thing is don't get political, don't get don't don't get nasty, don't use profanity. It's all like this is supposed to be a fun, safe place or a fun a fun, a fun, heartwarming place. So I'm hoping that people feel that way. And and it doesn't <laughs> right? turn yeah. into a, it doesn't turn into, you know we're uh christopher's getting death threats
1: and that is also you know for our listeners the one thing that aaron always tells me is that i can't swear and i can't call opie names (laughs) i have to be positive so it's something we're continuing to work on
0: yes yes so that's all i got all right well i don't have any final thoughts good episode nice to see barney fife coming into his own and it'll, it'll get it'll just get better as we go on so next week we will do the episode Opie's charity and until then we've just tuned for you over
1: and out buddy <music>